Hello and welcome to iGaming FM, bringing you a regular, relaxed and informative mix of insight and stories from the world of online betting and gaming. In this first episode, I talked to industry legend Simon Collins about his eye-catching recent appointment as chairman of exciting startup Jogo Global. I also speak to All in Diversity's Kelly Keane about the ongoing and some would say raging debate around the issue of gender bias in the gaming sector. But first up, I spoke with Square in the Air's very own Robin Hutchison to find out briefly what iGaming FM is all about. All of that inside 30 minutes. This is not just another iGaming podcast. First up, I'm joined by Square in the Air's own Robin Hutchison. Robin lives with his young family in Derbyshire and has been at Square in the Air for nearly 10 years, playing a leading role in the growth of the company's B2B team. So Robin, why is Square in the Air putting together a radio show? Good question. And there's probably two answers to it. I think the industry's changing and I think the way that people consume their media uh, is changing. We've spent the best part of 15 years writing really good content for people and we'll continue to do that. Um, there's lots of to be gained from press releases and features and interviews and stuff that people want to read, but people also want to see and people want to hear as well. And I think the importance of embracing those new media opportunities is something that we need to do and i think people are hungry for more content people want to hear from the interesting people within the industry they want to hear from our clients they want to hear from others as well and uh, if we're in a position to deliver that then that'd be great that's interesting because you mentioned clients and others and the traditional role of an agency like square in the air is to represent its clients so is this just for your clients or, or is it wider than that it certainly will be for clients we're blessed to have some great ones and some great people that work at those clients but it will undoubtedly be for those people we know within the industry as well and, and people we'd like to know too because there's some great voices out there and people with some great opinions and interesting opinions. And I think it's about topping into the hot topics as well as, you know, the stuff that clients want to talk about, because that's it's got to be interesting. It's got to be relevant. People want to to listen to to good opinions and interesting opinions and uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and hear what's going on in that industry. You know, I, yeah, I, mean, I think that's interesting, but I, I would also guard against the fact that that's probably a thought process that's been reflected in a lot of companies in the last year when people have been launching podcasts. And do people really need another iGaming podcast? I mean, is, how's this one going to be different if it's going to be different? Well, look, there's some great products out there. There's some great iGaming podcasts. I agree with you. There are a number of them now. And we don't want to be sort of jumping on a bandwagon. But we want to offer a different approach, really. And that's why it's going to be more of a talk radio show, I think. Um, it's going to be more voices and um, talking about different things and possibly a sort of shorter uh, mix of content and features um, and, and audio only as well. I think, you know, people want to go about their daily business doing other things and, and being sort of tied to something they have to view doesn't necessarily help that. So um, talk radio show is, is what we sort of um, got in mind, really. Good. Uh, good to hear. So so what, what comes next then? What can we expect from the Square in the Air iGaming radio talk show? Well, I was hoping you'd tell me, Stuart, because you're the host. But ultimately, um, a lot's coming um, and you'll have to kind of watch this space, really. We've got some great guests lined up um, to talk about some very interesting subjects, subjects I think that um, people will be really keen to hear about and, and get an alternative take upon. Um, it'll be light, but it'll also be insightful um, and hopefully fun and, I guess, informed at, at the end of the day because people want to listen to stuff that um, they go away having uh, learned something new. 
Let's hope so. Uh, Robin, thanks so much. And you, sir. Thanks for talking to us. Have a good day. Speaking of debate, a number of posts and comments on LinkedIn recently have included members calling out what they perceive as sexism in the gaming sector. Not a new story, I know. Recent examples included bikini-clad croupiers and also the widely reported male-dominated judging panel for the Global Gaming Awards. I spoke to Kelly Keane about the issue and why it still rages in 2021. Some quick Kelly facts. Kelly's co-founder of the All In Diversity Project and Global Relationships Director at SBC. Very glamorously, Kelly is American although she now lives in North London with her young family. She just moved house, in fact. Googling her name yields 2,700 hits, and she has nearly 4,000 followers on LinkedIn, which is kind of CEO territory. That's very good. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Are you well? Hi, Stuart. Thanks for that amazing introduction. If you like it, you can record it and put it on your LinkedIn page if you want. I do. I actually Googled my name after you said that. Is that that's right? I don't think there's any others. No imposters. Um, it's good talking to you. I'm going to jump straight in if that's all right. The reason I wanted to talk to you was, as I mentioned at the top, some debate that's been raging. We're still seeing speaker and judging panels often populated exclusively by men. And I know it's something you feel passionate about and that we've worked on together, actually. So what's going on? Where are the women? I think the women, maybe five years ago, were not there. I think the women are there. Um, and I think what's happening is now we're realizing some systems that are keeping them back from being at the forefront. I thought the the LinkedIn post that you referred to really brought that to real life um, for most of the industry because it was a shocking photo, yes, but we see it a lot. We saw it three times that week, actually, didn't we? Mm-hmm. But if if the system continues to put out those types of shocking pictures, why don't we start to change the system, right? If there are not enough female CEOs, why don't we look at longevity and thought experts and people who may not hold a title of CEO, but are running companies out there, right? Or who are just as fit to judge a contest. You know, same same thing, right? If, if we want thought leaders on, on panels and in conferences, same thing, right? Let's start to look at what we're actually trying to achieve, not just the title or, or the way someone looks. Part of that's about power structures, right? Existing power structures that are in place. And it's really incumbent on those power structures to reform themselves, isn't it? I mean, that's that's a big part of the problem. It's not it's not the people outside saying this is what we should do better. It's people on the inside who maybe should be changing things from the inside out. I've talked about this for the last three weeks. I think it's a bit of both, right? I think as any company that is forward facing or showing an image of the industry has a responsibility. But yet I do think companies um, have a responsibility to develop leaders of all shapes and sizes from all represented groups. And then I also do think as females who are successful or who are forward facing, we also have a a job to play in supporting others who want to come up, Um, as well as male CEOs have that uh, role to do as well, to nominate and support. Sure. I mean, something I think has changed is the the willingness the readiness of people to call this out yeah um does it help i, I mean is that mm. sometimes is the calling out of it seen as the end of the action like well i saw that and i flagged it and now i'm out of the my responsibility is over for me it's not so much the calling out as yes we have to draw awareness to be honest personally we've been drawing awareness i've been you know and all in have been drawing awareness for it for a few years now 
but it's it is more about um being part of that right it's not about canceling right it's about saying you know i'm part of this industry too and i care about it and and that's not what we're trying to achieve and i think there is that silent majority that also feels that way and i think by continuing to make it normal to say this is not okay then that silent majority has more opportunities right to come forward and say yeah i agree with that this is not what we want to be part of right this is not it's not what I do. The industry I want to tell my mom I work in. <laughs> do, do you think that that um, silent majority then feels that this is a publicly at least a kind of toxic issue, right? People are reluctant to talk about race because they are fear of inadvertently using racist terms or unwittingly be acting in a way that might be considered um, uh, racist. And the same surely applies here. Do you think people? don't like to make public statements they don't like to talk on the off the cuff about this because they fear it's just hiding to nothing well i think there's far too much of a cancel culture on social media that probably brings about that fear um i also mm-hmm. think we live in a time now where uh people of my age um maybe didn't ever have to articulate that conflict that internal conflict i definitely was raised in a much different way don't speak out don't don't speak you know, um, your mind yeah. in certain situations, things like that, where there's a there's a younger generation who hasn't been taught that, who are free to say that, right? And there is that conflict of what's right and what's wrong and how does it affect my job and what will people think of me and all those things, right? Our image on social media versus who we are um, out there. Honestly, I think as much as if we can normalize the safe space, talking about it in a, you know, I'm part of this too context, mm-hmm. um, that will start to change. I mean, I feel like that's starting to happen. I feel like I see more forums, more productive, realistic forums. It's hard to, I suggest you don't want a forum of women to come together to talk about how hard it is to be a woman in gaming. You want, <laughs> you, you know, that's not the point, right? The yeah. point is to move the industry forward using yeah. its best people. Yeah. Um, and if a way to lasso that group together is to say, hey, female executives, you know, let's talk. Yeah. Then, then that's just another. That's just another forum um, to move things forward. As it, as it might be saying, right, let's go to Malta and hold a conference. Exactly, we're, we're biased towards Maltese executives because we value their input. With that in mind, and with the fact that these some of these new structures are are starting to emerge, and this is where we're going to we'll sign off in a minute. But it's a big <laughs> question: what's the, what's the one thing that everyone can do or should be doing? What's right? the one thing that is key to this? And it's not public statements. It's not boardroom quotas it's it's what goes on at a very personal level that silent majority is people that do know right from wrong that do see things as they are good and bad what's the one thing that everyone can be doing when it comes to addressing gender bias in the gaming ecosystem that's a tough one when you know because i think it is sort of it is based on the perspective that you're coming from. It's very easy as a woman for me. Well, I should say it's easier for me as a woman because I come with a sort of ingrained empathy, right? Um, to promote gender in an industry that I've been in my entire life, right? It's a little bit harder, um, but it is happening. I don't know if you saw, there was a there was a piece recently on iGaming Next where John Coleman um, stood up and said, you know, I have a role to play. And as a leader, I'm I'm leading a whole organization and I have to stand up and say, this is what I'm trying to do, right? I, I think there are starting to be some role models out there and things like that. I think probably authenticity is the most important thing, right? 
if it doesn't sit well with you and you want to say something, then that's a valid point, right? That you can, you are able to speak up and, and also with the respect that we all belong to this industry, mm -hmm. most of what we try to do is sort of anti-cancel culture, right? But I think a lot of people take it the wrong way, but should be come to the table, say it's wrong, call it out, but also understand that we all play a role, right? We're here to, to make it better, not just make life worse for certain people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, I, I suppose that's part of the challenge as well is that the people don't like criticism. And sometimes you, you can you can be justly criticised and still have a valuable reaction to give, right? You can still, what you do next is the really important thing. And you'll still be yeah, regarded well if you act with the right intentions, even if you've been criticised for a bad thing, right? There's still an opportunity to move forward. So yeah, I think moving beyond the, the, the kind of clamour and argument, as you say, people are comfortable in that space now. They are comfortable saying, Hey, have you seen this? I can't believe it's 20. And you, and you get a ridiculous amount of comments. Ridiculous is the wrong word. You get a long list of comments. And and I just wonder whether all those people are living those values or whether they're just commenting on LinkedIn. And that seems to be a big problem. You know what I, I say? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I think people do like that. Uh, I shouldn't say. there. I'm sure there are people who like the the likes and the, the eyeballs that they're getting. But this is an important issue. It becomes Absolutely. more and more important every day. The more times we say it, that that eventually one of the points will hit home for you know for everyone. And we can be better. We're a young industry. It doesn't it doesn't need to be um, have those sort of traditional. No, no, quite right. Yeah, thoughts yeah. And, and I suppose if we just focus on finding the best people for the job, right? Yes, I I, I think before you say it, we all want to believe we work in a meritocracy. I think everyone wants to believe that. Um, but clearly as you know, the three posts that I'll input up, um, over the course of that one week, we don't, there isn't that. And it's just more about identifying, right? Like if the systems, you know, we all have a role to play in those systems. If the systems are putting out pictures that are shocking, you know, too many males or, or something like that, then let's change the system. Why are we getting the result that we're getting? And actually I'll have to say that week, I got more phone calls than I've ever received from operators, suppliers, events and media companies uh, wanting to change, right? Wanting to say, you know, here's what we're going to do. Um, is this the right thing? So. Well, that's encouraging, right? I send on that note. And you mentioned All In before. So as a sign off, where do people go to find out more? All In Diversity Project.com. Um, but we're most active on LinkedIn. So check us out on um, LinkedIn All In Diversity Project. We'll do that. Um, it's lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too. Thank you, Stuart. So to Simon Collins, who recently was announced as chairman of startup Jogo Global, some Simon facts. Where to start? Simon Collins first made waves in the gaming sector with bingo site Cascade back in 2001. Cascade owned a number of bingo brands, including perhaps most prominently Foxy Bingo, and was acquired by Party Gaming in 2009. He then founded Gaming Realms, acquiring the Slingo name and launching it into the UK market with massive success. More recently, he was MD of Gaming at News UK. Simon lives in Dulwich in South London, where he's speaking to us from, and he has an enormous 11,000 followers on LinkedIn, which is was well, proper chairman territory that simon how are you doing i'm good thanks uh thanks for inviting me to speak today it's nice to catch up 
uh, been traveling the uh, le- length and breadth of the UK, but we've managed to fit in the, uh, the time for us to have a little chat. Thanks for making time. I, and I wanted to talk to you about Jogo Global because a lot of people would have seen the post a few weeks ago when the announcement came out and it will have caught some people's attention um, because there's a lot of startups in the iGaming space. And the first question is, why did you choose to work with Jogo? So I, I'd known David from uh, his his work before. He'd done some stuff with... Uh, uh, I should say this, David Marcus, CEO, right? Yes, David Marcus. He'd, he'd uh, done some very interesting pioneering work with a 3D proposition for the guys that had Globalcom. And Globalcom was the software that powered Cascade, um, Foxy Bengo and all that sort of stuff. So I'd known David for, for many, many years. And, you know, just the opportunity to get involved in this new sort of uh, business, which has a South American feel and theme to it because uh, of Tiago, the other co-founder. It was really interesting. And what I like about it is that it's kind of softer sort of game formats, omni-channel. So Tiago's got a good experience of working with companies like Ortiz and stuff like that, uh, Video Bingo in South America. And, you know, it sort of felt like a good opportunity for where I could add a lot of value. And so we've just started that journey. As you mentioned, the announcement came out and I'm really excited to see where we can take the proposition, especially with the things that are opening up for everyone in the gaming side of things internationally, so across markets like Canada and the US and uh, and all that sort of stuff. And I think I still feel that softer game formats are, are less well represented versus the, the rest of the market. Everybody's seemed very focused on slots and the like. So I think there's a, an interesting and good opportunity here. Yeah. And by, by that, do you, you, you're talking about numbers games and, and those kind of things, right? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I've seen things like Kino in Greece and stuff like that when I was growing up, and I've always felt that lotteries, there's a lot more innovation that can come into that lottery space, mm-hmm. but especially bingo, you know, I still think that uh, uh, formats like bingo, there's a lot more innovation to come on, on those areas, and um, it'd be interesting to see if we can bring some of that heat to the, to the marketplace in terms of things like video bingo and stuff like that. I was, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you actually. I was, the, what my next question was: um, what what makes it different to other providers? What you know, one of the reasons you attracted Joker, but you've already answered that. Really, it sounds like um, it, it's quite intuitive. This decision, right? You kind of there's a sense. It's rather than one thing. It's kind of you, you named three or four things that were reasons for being part of this project. And and I wonder how the opportunity came about. Really, how you know who makes the first move? You must get. Yeah, quite a few phone calls and, and emails and, and pitches and ideas. And I'm sure you're not the only one, but there are lots of people who are approached to collaborate. Um, you say you know David a long time. Was it David's involvement that maybe pulled you in? Or? I think that the fact I'd stepped down from news, so I was uh, at liberty, let's say, to, okay. to look at some of these opportunities. It would have been harder had I still had that MD role uh, at news. And so it was just good timing, really. So got the opportunity to meet Tiago, and we've just brought on a guy called Rob Vecchio, mm-hmm. who's going to help us with the US side of things. And I've always had a, you know, I look at uh, Dermot Smurfit, who runs Game Account Network, yeah. and you know, seen some of the success that they and the trailblazing that those guys have done. And and I feel like there's an opportunity with Jogo to hopefully captivate some of that essence and some of that lightning in a bottle that the US market might bring to our ecosystem. And yeah, that lightning in a bottle. That's I mean, that's the to extend metaphor so much that's the x factor that's the thing that everybody seeks right how is jogo equipped do you think to deliver that i mean how what is it about the company that makes you believe that they actually can realize that ambition when others try to and and often don't yeah i think i mean i think the us is a big marketplace and the the guys have got some good experience working with some of the tribes and you know got previous projects that they've run 
in an offline online sort of context and so that that the marrying of those two things everyone talks about it this omni-channel mm. you know opportunity but um i really think the us is going to open up a huge amount of opportunity for those sorts of skill sets and i guess that's where i'm looking forward to seeing whether or not we can make that stick obviously in order to do it you've got to go and get all the licenses mm-hmm. and regulatory hurdles have to be overcome etc cetera, etc cetera. so so you know it'll take a while uh, it'll be a long journey you've probably seen the gaming realms so that's a pathway that they've trodden and slingers you know probably four percent of the new jersey marketplace mm-hmm. with that one format and i just think it's a really interesting way to you know sort of you know target a, a, an opportunity or a marketplace is by offering content rather than by being B2C or whatever else and trying to, you know, I think you need to be sort of supplying the capabilities to the likes of DraftKings and others to uh, open up that, that opportunity further. It's complex there though, right? Because you talk, I mean, you name checked the, the, the tribal casinos and the regulatory structures there are radically different. Do you think that's a deterrent for some people? Do you think some people are put off from taking the challenge on? because of Yeah, that? I mean, so I was looking at uh, White Hat doing that deal with Blueprint, which got announced earlier. Yeah, yeah this week and i'm still scratching my head and struggling i mean i need, i must give matt cole from blueprint and uh the guys over at white hat a call just to check that they're going to tell us a little bit more detail about what they've achieved there uh, yeah i don't think that was a public announcement yet was it i think that was just uh, i think a, a little bit of information leaked out so probably yeah, there probably is more to come i suspect but i think that's an example of you know two you wouldn't necessarily put those two companies in the same breath but clearly they've uh, figured out that there's an opportunity there because why have got some of that regulatory stuff under their belt? Because I think they're powering one or two partners in the US marketplace. And so clearly it makes sense if you've done some of that regulatory hard work, it then makes sense to partner with people uh, in different ways that we've not seen in the marketplace today because I think Europe's a little bit more straightforward in terms of the regulatory landscape. So it's quite easy to put your game content live in, in, in with Gibraltar operators or with Malta operators, mm-hmm. et cetera. We're all very familiar with how that all works. I think in the States, it's very new. And as we've seen, states are opening up bit by bit. And some states are open for sports, some states are open for different things. And so there's a whole lot of new learning to be done uh, yeah. and understanding to, to be achieved. And, and they're not all necessarily just looking to replicate that um, European template either. As I said, it transpires um it's, it seems that as you say there will be uh, a, a wide range of reasons for things happening in certain territories there that don't happen in others i must say i'm white hat we're very glad that they got a nice bit of coverage there so thanks for that <laughs> um, <laughs> so back to joe go what day to day then what's your involvement going to be obviously you have this insight you have this rolodex you have this you know this reputation so I'm non-exec chairman and we we have a weekly catch-up um and then there's a every two weeks i'll do a catch-up on the u.s it's a really informing strategy in terms of, you know, who we're speaking to, where we're at with those different conversations. But also, as you mentioned, opening up my Rolodex and trying to get people uh, to take us a bit more seriously. So, for example, we'd love to get some integrations done with some different um, software suppliers. You know, I mean, you can imagine who that might be. And, and if we can achieve that, and, or if I can expedite that, let's say, then so much, so much the better, because that's one of the challenging uh, bits of the equation, I guess, in the marketplace. There's a lot of people with a lot of content and trying to get up the priority list to get an integration done is quite challenging uh, at times. And hopefully I can bring some uh, leverage and weight to those conversations to help them, uh, you know, sort of get through those conversations more quickly and more efficiently. Uh, and I know the right kind of people, I think, to you know, be putting some pressure on the, to hopefully help with all of that. 
but you know the, the the interesting thing is i think the the world is really opening up i mean there's a lot more uh marketplaces coming on online every single day uh and so i think you know hopefully the opportunity to go and get business and bring in new opportunities will be quite interesting and and, and, and rapid and i look at markets like africa as well as all of that stuff that i touched on with the us and uh, look at markets like canada and just trying to get an understanding of how we can best go about positioning things so that the business thrive and flourish, which it already is uh, as it stands. But, you know, I think there's a lot more uh, deal making to be struck in the coming 12 months. It's really interesting what you talked about collaborations then potentially with other, other suppliers and how that's, that might happen as a means of entry into the market rather than something happens as a market consolidates, because that is a different model, right? So you're, you, that's perhaps why my very simple view of it, why actually who you know is even more valuable now because you will be able to form alliances. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, what we are, when we were running um, the Slingo stuff with Gaming Realms, we, we had a serious discussion about not allowing anyone else to have that content. And I remember there was, a, you know, eight to eight were very keen to have the Slingo format because obviously they had a big bingo business um, with some very big brands on their platform. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously as time has gone along, the decision was taken to open up the, uh, the game content to others, not to keep it exclusively mm-hmm. to, the, uh, to the gaming realms, B2C brands. And having seen that, I think that's the opportunity now is to get on some of these platforms that have already got an installed base of customers and offer them new and interesting, innovative game formats. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, you know, there's a, you know, it's not just the US, it's also Europe and, and, and other markets, as I touched on earlier. and I think, you know, sort of trying to do that softer, trying to go after that softer game format. Yeah, and I suppose that they might be seen as supplementary to some of the more angular options that are out, right? A lot of, you know, there's been a lot of talk about American players wanting megaways and whiz bangs. They want excitement and they want noise and they want drama, but not everyone wants that. I'm astounded to see how many versions of megaways there are out in the marketplace. And it's an amazing testament to that business. A yeah. great and a great sale to uh, evolution, but um, you know that that format is very slot driven, and I think there's an overemphasis in our space on on the on these slot games. Now, you know, I could be wrong. So, you know, people might not want to play bingo and sort of you know video bingo and bingo and all that sort of stuff, but I do think uh, the scope to you know fish in that slightly more blue ocean, which is yeah. the soft the softer genre, you know, scratch cards, instant wins, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you, you've talked uh, about other markets. We talked about the US in a bit of detail there, and you mentioned um, Africa and Europe as well. And I was going to ask you about like 2022 and beyond for Jogo Global. I guess the clue is in the name of the company, Jogo Global, right? But um, of those markets, what specifically, if you can, if you can narrow it down, what specifically are the growth goals for Jogo? So we'll, we'll look for people who've got software technologies and then have the right licenses and, and audiences in place. And then we'll try and cater for that, for those, for those opportunities. Okay. So we've got live conversations with um, some very significant uh, players in the industry who are specifically looking for localized content around where they're looking to expand their operations. And that South American aspect of the team, I think, really plays into that. So you can imagine some markets in LATAM and, and, and some of those sorts of opportunities are particularly high on our agenda. And if you can find the people who've got the correct licenses and the correct partners in place, then you can go after some of these markets, you know. Um, I think Holland is just in the process of opening up as well. So that will bring a heap of opportunity to the marketplace. Um, And, you know, they've got a rich tradition 
John DeMol set up, uh, you know, Endemol in that marketplace. So, you know, they've got some great formats that uh, the Dutch are very familiar with from a sort of game show, yeah. gaming content context. And so the opportunity to hopefully um, spin up some original, innovative, interesting uh, bits of content that suits suits these different marketplaces, sometimes potentially even licensing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. TV formats and whatnot. Simon, thanks so much for joining us. I'm really interested to see how the Jogo journey evolves and your role in it. And hopefully we'll catch up in the future and talk again. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Yeah, it's been fun. And yeah, let's catch up in September. Simon Collins there, Jogo Global's new chairman. Certainly an appointment and a company to watch. Thanks to Simon as well as to Robin and to Kelly for their time and contributions. Next time on iGaming FM, a couple of competitors go toe-to-toe with Yggdrasil's Frederick Elmquist and Relax Gaming Simon Hammond, both NetEnt alumni, of course, talking slots and more. If you'd like to be part of the show, mail me directly or contact the team. The details are in the description. Until next time, thanks for listening.